Our reading this morning continues in Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, and that can be found on page 1129. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as those who were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law, will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage, then, is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some did not have faith? Will Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true, and every man a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak, and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, How could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as we are being slanderously reported as saying, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is deserved. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes when you um, look at the preaching rotor, 
You look at the passage and you think that somewhere there's a short straw with your name on. (laughs) But uh, to think like that is to misunderstand the nature of God's word, isn't it? That even in these difficult and complicated passages, God has something to say to us and something important. So let's pray. Father God, we do just pray this morning as we gather, as we open your words, you'd speak to us clearly and powerfully. And would you give us ears to hear and hearts that's long to obey and to put into practice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We do keep Romans 2 open in front of you. Uh, Many of you probably know that uh, when Jay and I moved to Basingstoke, we did a bit of a house renovation project. It's finally uh, coming to an end. And um, one of the things we put in is a new kitchen. And um, although I don't spend a lot of time in there, Uh, due to lack of skills, I I do really love it. And one of the things I love about it is that it looks quality. It looks really, really good. It looks like real wood, but it's not. It's just a veneer. The salesman in the shop told me it was a really good veneer, and I'm a sucker for a salesman. And I think it is. It does look great, but it is just a veneer. At some point, it's going to get bashed, and it's going to get peeled back. And when you peel back the cover, you're going to realize that it's just cheap MDF or chipboards or whatever they put in kitchen doors these days. Appearances don't always correspond with with reality. And I'm sure you'll know that very well-known phrase, you never judge a kitchen door by its cover. You see, what's true for kitchen doors is true for God's people. And the painful reality, and I say this with great sadness, is that every church family contains people who really know and love and trust Jesus, real woods. But there's also veneer about people who look good, but it's just a cover. See, appearances can be deceptive. And sometimes the veneer does look really, really good, and people can look very impressive. Romans 2 today is going to, I think, ask us a really difficult question. It's going to ask us, are you really a Christian? Or do you look like a Christian? Since the beginning of Romans, well, from Romans 1.18, God, uh, Paul has been talking about God's wrath. And it's hard, it's hard to hear And it's particularly hard for the Jewish. Now, the Jewish would have been cheering along with Paul when they read in chapter 1, and they read of Paul's judgment on the the wicked and the depraved and the evil. Good. But the Jews would have taken exception to them being included in that judgment. Because they weren't like the rest of humanity. They were different. The Jews were privileged people. They were, they were God's chosen people. Look at verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, to be a Jew was to enjoy a relationship with God. God gave, verse 18, God gave the law to the Jews. They were those who had received knowledge and truth. Verse 19, they were to be a guide for the blind, a light for those in the dark. They were those who taught others. And as a result, they were a privileged people. 
and their privileged position that meant as they heard about God's wrath on the wicked and evil, they thought, great for those people out there, but that's not us. Because we're God's people. But the problem is that the Jewish nation had misunderstood what it meant to be part of God's people and how he belongs. Because a veneer is not the same as real wood. Just look down at verse 17. Paul begins, now if. Now, this is a very big if. Paul is asking a huge question. And it's a hugely insulting one to a Jew. With all their history. Because what he's doing is he's questioning, are you really part of God's people? Do you really belong? Or actually, do you face judgment like the rest of us? And I think his accusation that he's going to make is this. You don't truly belong to God's people because, you know, because though you know the law, you don't obey it. Just look at verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you, then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? It's a huge accusation. It's saying, look, you've been given God's law. In fact, you know it inside out. You teach it to others. Did you never think to actually teach it to yourself? It's an ouch moment. Paul's saying, look, you talk a great game, but don't you practice what you preach? I wonder if um, any of you watch The Apprentice. Anyone watch The Apprentice? Um, I can't watch it. I find it too infuriating. I get too annoyed by the arrogance and the... Um, oh, it just does my head in. But um, Jane and I did turn it on this week and we caught the last 15 minutes. It strangely, strangely draws you in. <laughs> I wonder, as you've watched the programme, how many times, when they're in the boardroom at the end, how many times you hear them say, but Lord Sugar, I'm a team player. Do you ever hear that? You hear it all the time. In fact, some of these, that's the thing that sells them. It's one of their mantras, don't boot me out, I'm a team player. How many times during the series do you think you see a candidate behaving like a team player? How many times do you see a candidate putting themselves down in order to serve someone else on their team? How often do you see a candidate taking the back seat so that others can shine? The answer is rarely, if ever. So the candidates on The Apprentice, they talk a great game, but they don't practice what they preach. And I think that the Jewish nation had a bit of an apprentice candidate type arrogance to them. They talked a great game, but they didn't practice what they preached. Look at verse 21. You then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who break the law, who brag about the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? You claim to be the chosen people of God. You claim to brag about your status. 
You, it's what marks you out. Do you commit adultery? Do you rob temples? And the answer is yes. Of course you do. They talk a great game. They teach a great game. But though they know the law, they don't obey it. They brag about having the law like one might brag about having an exclusive membership of a club. Because it marks them out as different and special. But as one commentator says, it's not boasting in the law that brings honour to God, but obedience to it. You see, the Jews, verse 23 and 24, they're supposed to be a light to the nations. They're a testimony to God, to those around them, of God's goodness, to help people to honour God. But verse 24, instead, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's a quote from Isaiah 52, where God's people are exiled, and as a result of the sin of God's people, God isn't honoured, he's mocked, he's ridiculed. And Paul's saying, and it's no different now. Your behaviour doesn't honour God, it leads to him being blasphemed. See what Paul is doing in his argument here, he's layering up, he's saying, look, None of the Jews' nations, Jewish nations' privilege as a chosen people counts for anything if they disobey what's been revealed to them. Knowing the law counts for nothing if you don't obey. And if you don't obey the law, then how can you be sure of your status as one of God's people? The answer is you can't. And so as a result of your disobedience, you will face God's judgment, Paul says. Now look, I don't know, many of you, I don't know if many of you are Jewish, but the, re- the wonderful truth of this passage has lots to say to those of us today who aren't Jewish. And the lesson is this. In the face of God's judgment, it is not your background or knowledge of God's law that matters, but your obedience to it. And see, when it comes to our standing before God and facing it judgment, his judgment, it does not matter if you grew up in a Christian family and you know all the Bible stories. It does not matter if you know the difference between right and wrong according to the Bible. It doesn't matter if you can quote scriptures from all over the Bible. It doesn't matter if you can argue and defend a theological, theological position on any number of issues. It doesn't matter what Christian groups or churches you've been part of. It doesn't matter if you stood up the front and taught church or whether you, uh, you teach in a small group. It doesn't matter if you've always been at a church where the Bible is taught. These things are all good things. They are good things, but when it comes to our standing before God and facing his judgment, none of these things matter at all. As one commentator said, knowledge about God is a wonderful thing, but it's not enough. So what matters is your obedience. So where this morning is your confidence in being a member of God's people? Do you know God's law? Or do you obey it? Do you teach it? Or do you live it? The Jews, had, the Jewish nation had become a nation of people who were great at sitting in the synagogue on a Saturday or 
for us at church on a Sunday, and hearing the sermon and applying it to everyone else in the congregation, but not themselves. And see, in the face of God's judgment, it's not your background or knowledge of God's law that matters, but your obedience to it. And this emphasis is reinforced by Paul's next point, which is this, the outward signs of belonging to God's people mean nothing if not accompanied by our obedience. That's the point of verses 25 to 27. Now look, this here is my wedding ring. And uh, when you see it, it tells you something about me. And it's a sign of the promises I've made to my wife, Jay. Now, to be honest, this ring is, wasn't particularly expensive. It's not particularly special in and of itself. It's just a bit of metal. But it's a sign, isn't it? It's a sign of something far more important and far more valuable. It tells you that I belong to another, that I'm committed to her. And circumcision was a sign that showed that you belonged to God's people. In other words, that you were a true Jew. I'm, uh, I'm sure they didn't do, well, maybe they did, I'm sure they didn't. But uh, if you wanted to prove that you were, pro- uh, you were a true Jew to someone, there's only one way to do it. Don't think about that too, too much. <laughs> Verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. Paul's point is, look, this sign means absolutely nothing if it's not accompanied by obedience to God's. A, a wedding ring, this wedding ring means absolutely nothing if I take it off this finger, put it on another finger, and go and have an affair. The ring means nothing. If you don't obey God, you don't belong to his people, regardless of whether or not you have the sign. Likewise, it works the other way around. Verse 26. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as those they, as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. In short, if you obey God, you belong to his people, even if you don't have the sign, even if you've not been circumcised. Now, um, I realise that in Basingstoke we can, some of us be a bit analytical, we're a bit technical, and so I've tried to put this in a formula, okay, to help some of you guys follow this. And here's the first thing, okay, uh, circumcision minus obedience equals uncircumcision, equals you don't belong. Uncircumcision plus obedience equals circumcision. You do belong. Some of you are not into formulas again. What? (laughs) If in doubt, go to John Stott. That's the golden rule, isn't it? This is what he says. Their circumcision, this is the point, their circumcision did not make them what their disobedience proved they were not. So do you see what Paul's saying? He's radically correcting the for the Jewish nation, the understanding of what makes them God's people. It's not their privileged background. It's not their knowledge of God's law. It's not even the sign that God gave them. What makes them, whether or not they truly belong to God's people, is dependent on their obedience. 
In sporting terms, you can have all the gear, but have no idea. Now, likewise, we can have all the signs of belonging to God's people. We can belong to a really good, sound church like St. Mary's. You can be confirmed. You can even be baptised. But if your life isn't lived in obedience to God, all that stuff is irrelevant. It's all veneer. The Jewish people thought that their status as God's people would protect them from God's wrath, but they were wrong. It's what we've seen this morning. In the face of God's judgment, it is not your background or knowledge of God's that matters. It's your obedience to it. The outward signs of belonging to God's people mean nothing if not accompanied by your obedience. Paul is layering up the argument and he's building on what he said in Romans 2 verse 13. Just look back. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And so look, the key question for religious people, religious people who turn up at church on a Sunday is this, have you obeyed God? This week? Today? If my confidence of belonging to God's people is in my obedience, right now, are you in or are you out? And the Bible says, and Paul says, you're out. That all of us, we're out. <coughs> Romans 2 is, I think, a crushing chapter. And I've laboured and struggled over the sermon this week, and part of it is because of the weightiness of what Paul is saying. Paul is building his argument, and his climax of this is in chapter 3, verse 9 to 18, where he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who seeks God. No one who does good. No one likes to be told they're not good, do they? Imagine you're going to work on Monday and your boss sits you down and says, look, you're no good at this. Imagine a friend says to you uh, about your parenting, just says, look, you're, you're no good at this parenting, Mark. Imagine how crushing that would make you feel. You'd be absolutely crushed. And in chapter 2, Paul says it doesn't matter how religious you are or how much you know about God's law or how sound your theology is or how sound your church is, before God you are not good. And you deserve to face his wrath. And that is a crushing truth. And it will be a truth that for the Jewish people, God's privileged people, a very hard truth for them to understand. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, is Paul anticipating some of their objections and showing how that, dis that he can still be faithful to his people and is still just in judging his old covenant people like this. But the reality for us, if we sat here this morning, we understood what Paul's saying in chapter 2. We should be wondering how on earth disobedient people like you and I can ever belong to God's people. Now, disobedient people like you and I can ever escape God's wrath. Boy, does it make you grateful for verses 28 and 29. 
Let's read those verses. A man who is not a Jew. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. A man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit and not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God's. See, thirdly, it's only circumcision of the hearts by the Spirit that means we can truly belong to God's people. You see, circumcision was only ever supposed to be a physical, external sign of an inward reality. That was what it was supposed to be in the Old Testament. You see, remember this wedding ring. This wedding ring doesn't mean anything in and of itself. It's just a sign. It's just a sign that reminds me and reminds Jane of a promise I made to her. This ring reminds me of an inner reality. And it's the inward reality, not the outward sign that God is concerned about. See, what God's people need is not outward circumcision, but inward circumcision. Circumcision of their hearts, changed hearts, so that they want to obey him. He doesn't want veneer. He wants wood. But of course, God knows that we won't be able to do that. We won't be able to change our hearts. And so in the Old Testament, he promises that one day he will do that for us. He will circumcise our hearts. And see verse 29, circumcision of my heart is not something I achieve through my obedience to the written code. No, circumcision of the hearts is a work of the Spirit. I don't know if you um, know what circumcision um, actually signifies, but it, it's a sign of what would happen to God's people if they broke the covenant, if they disobeyed with him. They'd be cut off. That's what circumcision represents. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that he has done the work of circumcision in us. He was cut off from God so that we might never have to be. Here's what one writer says. When the Spirit works in someone, it gives them the Son's circumcision. Neither our religious performance nor our lack of religious performance matters. Through the Spirit applying the work of the Son to us, the Father sees us as objects of praise, not of condemnation. It is only circumcision of the heart by the Spirit that means we can truly belong to God's people. To know you are saved completely by God's grace liberates us from the pride of imagining you can save yourself and from the terror of realising that you can't. We belong to God's people because of a work of the Spirit in our hearts. And wonderfully, many of us sat in this room this morning know that to be true. We trust in Jesus. We love the gospel. And we know there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. It's an act of grace. And yet, though we know that, functionally, I think many of us can continue to find confidence of belonging to God's people in all the wrong things. 
how do you know what those things are? Well, try answering this question. What marks you out? What marks you out this morning in this church family? What do you brag about? Wow, sorry, hang on. This is some Marys, isn't it? We're full of nice folk. Okay, we don't brag, because that's not what we do here. We're lovely. So let me ask the question differently. What do you like to do to be noticed? What's, do you want, what do you bring to the table in, that marks you out from other people in the church family? What do you want to be known for? Your role? Your background? Your family? Your knowledge? Your teaching? Your service? Your love? Your kindness? All good things. What do, you, what do you want to be noticed for? Or conversely, uh, what, why don't you want people to notice you? What makes you feel embarrassed? Shamed? How do you fear being exposed? What do you fear being known for? What is it that makes you feel like you don't properly belong to this church family? Your sin? Your lack of knowledge, your lack of Christian upbringing and family. See, answer those questions and you'll work out where you place your confidence of belonging to God's people. And we need to repent of that. Four, when you have received a new heart by the Spirit of God, verse 29, such a man's praise is not from men, but God's. Self-righteousness gets you nowhere. That's the title of today. Well, righteousness in the eyes of others gets you nowhere too. In Christ, you truly belong to God's people. God's wrath is no longer under you. Therefore, praise or recognition from others offers us nothing that we already have. Or that we already don't have, even. There is no basis by which you can compare yourself favourably or unfavourably to others. So when you look around this morning at church family, when you look around in your Bible study or in your friendship group or any of the activities that happen in this church family, and when you look around and you're tempted to look down on others who still struggle with sin that you defeated years ago, and when you look around at others and you see people that seemingly having conquered sin that you really still struggle with day by day. Don't be tempted to be proud. Don't be tempted to feel like a failure. Because one day, remember that we will stand before God's judgment seats and you and I will bring nothing to the table. Self-righteousness gets us nowhere. Righteousness in the eyes of others gets us nowhere. The only thing that gets us anywhere is the Spirit of God changing our hearts, pointing us to Christ. So don't live now looking for praise from men because you have praise from God. Self-righteousness gets you nowhere. Christ gets you everywhere. Let's pray.
Father God's loving Father. Romans 2 is a sobering passage for us. As we realize again that even our best efforts do nothing to make us right with you, to make us belong to your people. We've been reminded this morning of our disobedient hearts. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. Thank you that you have circumcised our hearts. You have done what we can never do. Father, thank you that this morning we have hope before you. Hope in the face of your right and just wrath. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would help us to live this out now. Would help us not to fear people, not to look for the praise of others, but to know that in you we have your praise and your delight. Amen.